out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Sometimes you have to say, Jim, just calm down. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is a true story. You'll have to blame my mum and dad for that. Anyway, the C86 show, I've been rocking and rolling through the archives of various interviews I've done over the years and um, thought, let's archive them. That's a good thing. This is just for my own kind of satisfaction, really. I don't think anyone really cares, but who cares? That's what I say. Um, I'm going to put it out there. This is one that I did a few years ago with Judy Zook, the singer-songwriter who was touring, I'm not sure where, probably in Norwich, Norfolk, East Anglia. And this is the interview. And I have to say, it did surprise me because um, I don't know why, but um, there was just a lot about what she said that um, resonated and was slightly, um, yes, hit me on an emotional level. Anyway, this is the interview, unedited, but keeping it real. Judy, take it away. Sorry. This is in Norwich, because you're going to be coming to Norwich very soon, aren't you? Well, November, which will probably be here before we know it, actually. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 the year's gone so fast. I know, I know, it's been very good. But, um, yeah, so obviously I was one of those people who grew up sort of, I'm sort of 53, so I sort of realised, um, so you're sort of, the, the, the single that kind of launched you was the one that um, most of us first heard of, of your sort of repertoire, actually. Yes. And I just noticed that your um, sort of the early years, you did sort of mix with the... Uh, I was going to say the great and the good, but you were sort of definitely with people like Elton John and Tony Visconti as well, weren't you? Well, I was signed by both of those people, actually. I was, I was signed first by Tony Visconti um, and then his company, actually, nothing to do with me, yes. <laughs> went uh, bankrupt, I think, or whatever was went all went wrong. Um, so then I was signed by Elton onto his label. Which must have been, was it kind of, um, was it a bit of a whirlwind experience? Yes, it was. I mean, it was um, it was quite sad about the Tony Visconti thing because, you know, obviously I was very excited to be on Tony Visconti's label and you know, he produced my single and it was all very exciting. And literally the day my single came out, his company went down. So God. although it was nothing to do with me, there was a lot of, obviously you can imagine as your first deal and your first single and... And that happens. Yes. Um, so that was a bit of a, a disaster, really. And then getting onto Elton's label was fantastic, um, but I wasn't quite as sort of innocent to the pitfalls, and there were some yes. on his label as well, but not with the first album. The first album and single, you know, did great, and it was wonderful. Yes, because I've been sort of doing quite a lot of um, interviews with various bands, mostly from the 80s, and one thing I noticed that... Most of them have a sort of five-year longevity. You know, they do a single and they yeah. come almost a bit surprised and they get the bit of airplay and, and uh, sort of the album comes out. And then the the tour, which is kind of brings up quite interesting issues and problems and stuff <laughs> and management and then record labels. And then by the second, third album, things sort of go quite pear-shaped. But you've been incredibly prolific, haven't you? you well, I, <laughs> I, I'm very persistent, but I think more than that... Um, and. I now work with lots of young artists, um, up-and-coming ones, and I write with them. And my thing is is that I'm an extremely, probably over-emotional person um, of every extreme. And I find that if I write songs about those feelings or with those feelings to fuel it, um, I feel better. So for me, music is, is not only a sort of enjoyment thing, it's actually something, it's almost like 
emotional exercise. You know, if I don't do it, I get very dark, right. and it all gets in my head, and then I, I'm not I'm not a very easy person. So, music is is everything for me, and whether I was successful or not, I was always going to do it. Yes. Well, I... Um, so I was lucky to have my success early on, and very lucky to have <clears throat> "Stay with Me Till Dawn," which, for whatever reason, is is one of those songs that people loved. I mean, I think I've done much better songs than that. But you know, who am I to know? I don't know. Um, and there's all sorts of things that go around having a successful song. Anyway, it's like you know, you can have the best song in the world, but if no one hears it, then they don't know it so it doesn't count as yes. far as outside goes but for me personally i i just love writing and i and i said it makes me feel much better and i'm a much lighter person if i can get it all out in my music what i have noticed is with a lot of the people i've been working with and not all of them because there are a few like me that i've worked with but i've worked with quite a few very talented young artists who've literally just given up because they don't like the business they don't like all the difficulties and the management and the labels and all those things around it which you've got to be pretty hard-nosed to actually keep going through all of that because there are an awful lot of uh, bad managers bad labels good managers as well and yes. good labels um but you know so you i think you've just got to want to do it that that badly and mm. i I always have. So that's, I guess, why I'm still going. Yes. Well, it's, it's interesting because you've been a solo artist in that same way that a few people, and, and obviously one of my, the people that sort of spring to mind is people like David Bowie. I mm. mean, quite interestingly, because they haven't, they weren't in a band, I mean, it's sort of, a, I suppose it's um, possibly a good or bad thing, is that, that they were able to bring in new people to play with when they got a bit bored or they thought, yes, I've done that album, done that tour with that band. I'm going to, you know, have a bit of a change of direction and just play with mm. a different guitarist or drummer and make quite a different vibe. So have you found the same, the sort of same creative process? Well, I have, but sort of by accident, because if I had enough money <clears throat> and if I'd have been successful, I probably would have kept my band because my band's always been my best friends. I'm also... Yeah, um, I, I don't know how to put it really. I don't see myself as demanding, but in a way I suppose I am in that I want the people I'm working with to be my friends. I don't want people I pay to just come in for, you know, a month while I'm doing an album. There, I have a lot of very talented friends and I love having them in my band. But obviously because I was not a hugely successful person, I couldn't keep the same band, although I still am friends with all my band members, um, I've had to move on and find new people. And, and that probably has fueled lots of changes in what I do. Also, I love all sorts of music. And I, I'd be just as happy to do a, um, I don't know, a, a drum and bass track as I would to do a crossover classical track. I actually love all kinds of music. And because I'm not the musician, I'm not always in control of what the backing is like. Yes. So I've sort of learned to be consistent in what I do over whatever I'm given, really, with, with the players that I'm around at, at the time. Which is amazingly good, isn't it? I mean, because with, with this new album and this new tour that's coming out, which yeah. is, um, you've, you've um, I suppose that's one of the world, wonderful worlds of the internet. You've been sort of, this is a crowdfunded um, album as well, isn't it? Kind of. We didn't do it on a sort of professional way. We didn't do any of the Kickstarters or crowdfunding we literally just emailed uh, our 
database and said, you know, we, we're making an album. It would be great if you could help us. <laughs> because I don't know if you know that I, uh, the last four years for me have been um, extremely dramatic and difficult. And, you know, we got a bit stuck with being able to finance the finishing of the album. But we ended up with our, you know, our people actually doing that. But I was, uh, I had cancer four years ago. Yeah. And um, because of that, my uh, mortgage people decided that I wouldn't be able to have the mortgage. So they took our mortgage away and we lost our house and we had to live in the studio, which meant we couldn't use it um, for <laughs> as a studio yes. for a while. And it's all settled now and everything's fine and it's all finished and everything's brilliant now. So I'm not at all complaining, um, but could have done without those last four years, really. But then I wouldn't have made this album the yes. way it is. So... You know, there are there's there's lots of dark songs on there, and there's a few sort of light at the end of the tunnel songs on there as well. So, and there's funny enough one about wow about how I was inspired by uh, David Bowie, which is quite funny that you mentioned him. Oh, excellent. Yes, because I did sort of I was just got a reading bits and pieces. So was that a complete shock in in was it 2013 when you got diagnosed? Um, yes, it was a complete shock, and I actually had no symptoms really. So I was incredibly lucky that. Uh, I was just feeling a bit under the weather and my daughter's just got fed up with me feeling like that. But nothing, yeah. nothing that you would ever consider what you would expect if you had a serious illness. Mm. Um, but I went to the doctors and they also thought there was nothing really, but they just checked me over in case. And it sort of went on like that until they found that I had cancer. Right. Um, but And it wasn't early either. It was, it was not late, but it was in the middle really. It was, I think, grade two... Um, going to grade, you know, nearly grade three. Um, but I had no symptoms, which is a terribly scary thing. You know, I, I wanted, when I had it, I, I had all these plans to get out there afterwards and help people to, you know, find out if they had cancer. But it was very difficult because I couldn't actually say what to watch out for because I didn't really have anything. Yes. Um, well, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting, bizarre, actually, because I got diagnosed with cancer last year as well, which was really strange because I'd gone to the doctors for one thing because I just felt like I was a bit under the weather. Yeah. And then she sort of, she was amazing. She sort of tapped me a few times and said, oh, you've got a large liver and immediately, you know, um, alarm bells rung. So oh, she, sent me, she sent me off and I had about 14 blood tests. They were all fine. And then I had various scans, including an MRI. And then I got this letter to see... And and it wasn't and it wasn't actually I've just got I'm, apparently I'm quite unusual in the fact I've got this very large liver but they found something on the kidney and they said right you've just by the way this is this dark area and you go oh dear that's not good is it no. and it's like no but don't worry we'll you know we'll be in we'll do the operation but I mean I was you know I mean so fit because I do lots of running and gym mm. and triathlons and swimming and suddenly you know so you know when you were saying that, I thought god yes absolutely there's, there's no because people would say to me what well, did you feel ill it's like well I'm ill but I, I had a bit of a summer flu I think and actually yeah that's, that's <laughs> what I thought and and at the time that I I had um two years before I had decided to get fit and healthy you know because I wanted to be a, around for my daughter's children and you know and I'd lost three stone and I was probably the fittest that I've been since I was a teenager um and then they found that in yes. me so I guess there's no way of knowing um 
unfortunately, I put on a lot of weight because the the cancer that I had was in my womb, which sort of threw everything and all, you know, and and so I, all that good work I did <laughs> yes. has gone, and I've got to do it all again now. Um, but I'm alive and I'm okay, and as far as I know, four years you know, cancer-free, as yes. far as I know. Yes. But I would never be confident enough to say that I was free because I didn't know when I wasn't I like know. you. I mean, did they operate on you quite fast? Yes. He said, oh, look, we've got a date next month. We'll see you Friday morning at 7 o'clock. And it was like, right, OK. So it was quite weird because I'd gone to the surgeon and I and I thought I saw it was urology and I thought, oh, urology, I'm not going to have a clue. But then it was like, oh, no, it's kidney and urology. And, and I'd gone on my own because I didn't even have my, you know, I said to my partner, it's just a bit of a routine chat, I think, you know. So I sort <laughs> of, so I just walked out sort of down the corridors thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> Well, you're lucky in a way. I got that dreaded phone call, and I knew. But uh, I, I was, um, I had my tests on uh, Friday, and they said, "Oh, you won't hear for a month." And my daughter went to Costa Rica, and my other daughter went somewhere in Europe. And I thought, "Well, great. You know, I've got a month. I won't find out anything, so it's all fine." And literally on the Monday, I get a call from someone saying, "Oh, we'd like to. We've got your test results back, and we'd like to see you on um, Thursday." Yes. And I went, "Oh, why isn't everything right?" Oh, we can't talk about it. But um, I have been advised to tell you to bring someone with you. So can you imagine from Monday to Thursday? I mean, so in a way you didn't have that. I mean, by the time I turned up at the doctor's, I thought I had a week to live, you know. Um, And the doctor was funny. The first thing he said to me, "Well, I'm shocked." (laughs) <laughs> what are you shocked about? And he said, well, I didn't think it was this, but it is. Yes. But I was lucky. I went in nine days later and had it out and didn't have any spread. But uh, so when my daughter came back from Costa Rica, I sort of said to her, right, so while you've been away, I've had cancer, but I haven't got it anymore and I'm fine. <laughs> um, thank God I could say that. But, yes. uh, well, I, I suppose because they, they give me a scan every six months now. At yes, the I've just finished those. And I, but I got a phone call um, a couple of about six weeks ago saying, "Oh, um, we need to see you again." And and again, it was so vague. But then, yeah. so I, I had to go and see my other specialist because he said we found something on the on the lung, and it's like, "Oh Christ!" And then you yeah. go go in, so you have another oh, CAT scan, not the, not the MRI, and um, and then I sort of you know, and then you don't hear anything, so you write, you know, because phoning is hopeless. And they then he left a message saying, "Actually, we found nothing. It's nothing at the moment, but we'll give you another scan in a few weeks, another month's time." So I know my way around the hospital like the back of my hand. Oh gosh! Uh, well, good luck. Yes, I uh, mean, I think you know the chances are sort of apparently very low for me but I don't that doesn't mean anything to me I mean I just I'm just sort of it's very hard to think um too far ahead I find yes um I'm trying to you know my daughters keep saying to me oh god stop thinking like that but I think it's a very difficult thing once you've had it to actually be confident that you won't get it. Yeah, I know there's, there's a few things you quickly do, like sort out your will or sort of just put a few mo- notes yeah. about, about your funeral, your wishes. <laughs> but, you know, you just say, oh, I should do the admin. I mean, you know, I'm really lucky in the sense every six months I get this kind of, you know, scan. Yeah. And, and so if there is anything that crops up, they're, my God, they're on top of it, you know. Yeah. Because unfortunately our neighbour who lived opposite just retired and just before Christmas this year, last year she went to the toilet and realised something wasn't quite right and so went and it like, oh, yeah, you've got, 
probably, I think it was bowel cancer. But then they found she had liver cancer. So this whole... Well, yeah, my dad died at 40 of liver cancer, but they went to operate on him when they opened him up. It was everywhere. But, you know, that was a long time ago. So yes. hopefully, you know, that there's much, they're much more able to tell now. But, yeah, uh, and I think that, um, you know, once you're in the kind of system, and thank God for the NHS... You just realise yeah. that um, you know they they are very good at just keeping keeping the scans going, and you think you know. Yes, I mean I've stopped now. Uh, I stopped at Christmas was my last um, necessary checkup. Yeah. Uh, they said I could go back at any time and check up, but I at the moment I'm quite happy not to. But I wasn't feeling well earlier this year, and I've had four sets of blood tests, and they found nothing. And then they said, well, you know, we can do some other... I go, no, enough <laughs> tests. You know, I'd rather just move forward. You haven't found anything, so I'm just going to keep going and yes, get healthier and thinner and fitter and, right. and you know, hope for the best. But I've made an album. Yeah, <laughs> and I've actually written a cancer song, which, uh, which passed the test of a 26-year-old girl who actually thought that because I actually say the word cancer in it but she read it which was brilliant as the cancer of a bad relationship she didn't think that I was literally singing a song about recovering from cancer which I'm very happy about because I don't particularly want to write a song about cancer but I wanted to write a song about my feelings in the you know in the last four years without it being doomy yes um, which I'm very happy she didn't see it as doomy at all and didn't see it as a cancer song. So that's good. That'll be on another album. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And, you know, obviously you're going to be in Norwich actually in November. So, yeah. So with your, your, you know, you obviously got a very sort of dedicated fan base. I mean, do you find that you sort of, you sort of pick up a few new people as well, younger? Sort oh, of... definitely. Um, which, because I don't feel, you see, I think the difference, maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe all of my peers are like that, but I don't feel that I'm of an era. I know that my single was on, of an era, um, but I've carried on making music all the time and going with what natural fashion sort of infiltrate my inspiration without me meaning to. Um, so I feel like I can reach whoever hears me. And that does happen when people hear what I, I'm doing. Normally, whatever age they are, they, they kind of like it. Yes. Which um, is... But... And that's great, and that's what I what I want from my music because I I I don't I am not writing pop songs, you know. I'm writing songs that are about feelings and about any kind of extreme feelings: love, hate, anger, sadness, all those things. And I think most people have all those feelings. So, you know, I always hope that they can relate to them because that's how I started in music was by being a bit of a depressed teenager and hearing Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and James Taylor and just going, God, I felt like that. You know, nice. <laughs> there are other people out there that feel like that. Um, and it helped me so much. They sort of were uh, probably almost as important as my parents in, in making me understand, you know, how other people felt. Yeah, I know. Well, it's actually it's all those artists and, and the Carol King, you know, tapestry. Yeah, I met her daughter the other day. Okay. It's funny enough, but uh, she looks exactly like her. It's quite funny. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I know all those those angsty singer-songwriters we, yeah. we grew up with. <laughs> yeah. But they were a great comfort. And, you know, and obviously yeah. when, when people like dear old Morrissey and the Smiths came along, I could relate to them as well. Yeah. <laughs> but he was just miserable with no light at the end of the tunnel, really, was he? But, well, no, there is a light that never goes out, I suppose. I guess there is, dear, yeah. dear old Morrissey. Well, 
look, I'm really, oh, I'm just so pleased to have chatted and caught up, actually. <laughs> You'll probably have to cut out all the cancer stuff, I will, but I will. Uh, I will. hopefully you can make something. I mean, I'm absolutely happy if you use any of it, yes. if you think it's worth using, yeah. you know, uh, to make other people check. Well, it's always, I mean, I, in a way, it's quite nice to um, sometimes discuss these things and, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, just to speak about them and not make a taboo, really, because... Yeah. Uh, because it is quite surprising when you start chatting to people. You know, there's the physical, there's the emotional, the mental. You know, we all sort of go through all this stuff, don't we? And actually, when when you kind of just talk about it quite relaxed, it, it sort of makes it a little bit easier just to yeah, to let it almost let it go. I think that's the key. well, that's right. And I mean, I, I wasn't going to write anything about it, although I, you know, "Woman Overboard," which is the first track on my album, was written when I had it absolutely in the middle of it and that was you know that is I suppose my out of control out of everything out of anything I knew song um but this song I've just written which will be on a, a later album I met a new songwriter who you know I spent two days with him we spent the first day for nine hours talking solidly and then the next day he just said to me write about all that stuff he said, you know, other people go through that stuff too. You know, it's, it's not a taboo. Write about it. And so we did. I mean, we're not doing this. The project we're doing is a project of, of loving of music. Um, whether it ever comes out or not, who knows. But it's fantastic to be able to um, put that in music and make something positive out, something that, you know, is a negative, really. Yes, absolutely. Well, look, Judy, I'd, you know, I hopefully um, can come, come along on the night because it'd be amazing. <laughs> but I'll also tell you um, the person who set this up, you know, when the feature goes out. But I'll probably play it a few times because it's um, in November you're coming to Norwich. And um, what are you going to play? What Stay With Me Till Dawn or...? I'll probably start with that. <laughs> you could play Gold, which is the one that's inspired by Bowie. Um, okay. And that's the one I think is quite up, my uplifting and sort of um, it's not at all, it, it isn't miserable. It's just about me being a bit of a coward and that he was not a coward musically. No. And, um, so it's not a sort of big, deep song about David Bowie dying. It's a, a song about me watching, you know, back-to-back um, interviews with him the day after he died and yes. just rem- being sort of amazed at how without care he was, uh, in a good way, you know, without fear he was, let's say, not care, without fear of making a mistake musically, just doing what he felt at the time. Well, it was, yeah, and I mean, that album, which I had um, a certain problem listening to because I was going through all those scans and operations. Oh, yes, of course. But that album, Black Star, was just the lyrics to Lazarus and stuff and uh, were just extraordinary. I mean, he did, you know, he did sort of capture it in a way which was quite, you know, amazing. Yeah, definitely. Well, the funny thing was, on the Saturday, I think he died on a Monday, and on the Saturday I went to a party and I was sort of complaining about being a bit old to put out, you know, another album and go on tour and would people still want to hear it? And my friend who's younger, much younger, said to me, oh, my God, but Bowie's just put out, you know, this new album and it's the best thing he's ever done. So you've got loads of years on him. And, this, you know, we didn't know, obviously, on the Monday he died. I think yes. it was on the Monday. It was very, it was all very close and I'd literally just bought it um, and then heard he died. I know. But um, I'm going to have to, because someone's coming into the studio. Right yes, thanks. But look, thank you ever so much. And, you know, just, just amazing to speak to you. Thank you, Judy. Yes, you too. And good luck. Let's yes. hope we can talk again <laughs> in, the, in next year and the year after and whatever and still be uh, amazed at our 
being still here. Being here, indeed. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you ever so much and uh, really looking forward to seeing you in Norwich. Okay, thank you. So, Hope to meet you. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was me in conversation with Judy Zook. And this has been David Eastall, The Seat, Six Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram. Check it out. Just go to at C86show. I will be there. Keep it um, positive and creative or groovy. Groovy is always good. Um, and also I've been archiving these shows and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Mixcloud and my favourite, Podbean. So there you go. Anyway, have a great week. <laughs>